But this time the kids are dismissed to their program. Only the kids. Eighteen years ago, uh, this week, uh, I gave a shot at preaching a sermon here. And it was called, uh, What is God Looking For in 2000? And so today, uh, 18 years later, uh, I'm going to give a shot at teaching on what is God looking for in 2018. And we're going to be looking at the same passage. And uh, I was delighted to go back and study this passage in Micah 6 and discover that um, I still think it means the same thing. Uh, even after seminary and all that. And uh, it's God's uh, essential heart for what he desires of us. Personally, at the beginning of the year, uh, this year in particular, I felt kind of overwhelmed. I think it was coming up to, um, you know, to Christmas and everything. I just pushed everything else aside and kind of did just what was absolutely uh, necessary. And then uh, coming back here uh, in the office uh, after the beginning of the year, I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> all those things that I pushed aside are stacking up next to all the things that uh, are just here already. And uh, we think of, you know, resolutions we make, new things to do, meetings to have, you know, wanting to be purposeful, books I should read, you know, weight I should lose, whatever it might be, all these things rattling around in our minds. And sometimes the Christian life, life in general, can just feel kind of overwhelming. There's too many, too many things going on. I think of uh, like squeezing a, a toothpaste tube that has a bunch of holes all in the side of it. You know, it's, it's coming out everywhere. And you try to like, oh, well, I, I try to keep up on my reading, but then, you know, some other things. So I'm trying to keep it all together. Or the illustration of the plate spinners at the circus, you know, they have all these plates spinning, just running back and forth, running back and forth. Sometimes life can feel that way. And sometimes, especially the Christian life, and when that happens to us, I think we tend to take two responses. One is we just mechanically keep spinning those plates. We just do the thing. We just keep doing it because that's what we've done. And uh, some drop and we kick ourselves and we just keep spinning. And uh, the other response is, is just to give up. Well, I can never keep all these plates spinning, so let them fall. And, uh, and we check out. But if the Christian life feels kind of frantic or frustrating, or you feel like giving up, um, I want you to grasp this this morning. Is God wants you to focus on the essentials. God is not here to overburden uh, you and confuse you, but there's, there's core heart things that he wants you to focus on this year and every year. Sure, the Bible is full of all kinds of different commands. Some of those are quite specific, um, just really practical and helpful uh, for all kinds of situations. For instance, um, if you have uh, an ox that gores somebody else's ox, and, uh, and your ox is not prone to do that ahead of time, um, the Bible says what God desires you to do about that. And if your ox is an ox that has gored like you know a bunch of other uh, oxen, uh, it tells you what to do about that also. It has all these different specific commands and different specific situations, but then there's times that, that uh, we read in passages of the Bible, it's kind of like it's all cleared off, and it's like, but here's the heart of it all. In the New Testament, we see uh, Jesus saying, in the response to what's the greatest commandment, 
Apparently, this was something that people debated. Um, I, I imagine some of our discussions about um, moral dilemmas or ethical dilemmas where does one command take precedence over another one? You know, we think of a Corey Ten Boom, you know, well, it's wrong to lie, but it's also wrong to, to let these, uh, these persecuted uh, Jews um, um, you know, be captured. And so it's this moral dilemma. You know, is there one commandment that outranks the other? And so there's this discussion about, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And, uh, and Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then interesting, it says, on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. And I think, in other words, if you love God, if you love people, uh, you'll figure out the rest. <laughs> Everything hinges on those two things. And so our, our passage today is, I think, a, an Old Testament uh, parallel where, you know, cut off all the clutter. What does God really want from our hearts? And this will be in, in Micah um, 6. Micah was a prophet during the divided kingdom. We just finished this series on kings. It was during his, uh, his ministry was during the end of the northern kingdom, uh, which he prophesied the end of that kingdom, which certainly did happen. And, uh, but he was mostly speaking to uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, that was the focus of his ministry. And he had all these complaints from the Lord against uh, the people. And, uh, but then he honed in. It's like, this is what the Lord really wants from each of us. So this morning, we're going to look at three basic kind of arenas of life, three basic relationships and what God desires of us. We'll get down to the essentials. We'll, we'll make this simple. And, and I found as I, as I think through these things that uh, if we have these three basic arenas or uh, basic relationships in life, which we'll talk about in a minute, we all have a tendency to, um, to do better in one of these than the other. And another way to say that is we all do worse in one of them than the others. Um, like a, like a three-legged stool, we tend to have a short leg. And so as we talk through this morning about these essentials of following God, I want you to think about what your, what your short leg is on your, on your stool. What area uh, does God want to draw you closer to walking with him uh, today? So we'll be... In Micah chapter 6, on those Bibles in front of you, it's on page 779, uh, last I checked. And it starts out like this. Verse 1. Uh, this is the complaint against the people. Verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Arise and plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord. And you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and I redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. In other words, the Lord's saying that, uh, hey, I loved you with a covenant love. I bound myself to you. I loved you first. I did all these things for you, but this relationship has been one-sided. <laughs> I've loved you, and you 
have not loved me back. And sometimes when we're, we're caught by that kind of feeling, we realize, wow, I've really, I've really blown it. Our, our first response is, how can I gain God's favor back? And here's what uh, is addressed here, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? In other words, what, what can I do to you know, make this right and make it so God's not angry anymore? Will the Lord be pleased, is verse 7, with thousands of rams, you know, just thousands of offerings, with ten thousands of rivers of oil, then just really extreme, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It's like, what can I do to, to make this right? Is there anything I could do? This dramatic sacrifice, this, this, this big gift, you know, well, I... I was naughty in 2017, so I'm going to make this big year-end year gift or whatever. Um, then things will be right. Or I'm going to do all these, these, uh, these sacrifices, these offerings, these religious acts of penance to make things right. Um, years and years ago, I saw a movie, The Mission. Maybe some of you have seen it. It just left an impression in my mind. And especially this scene where um, this slave trader, murderer, he, uh, he is just filled with remorse for the things he's done, and he, he carries this huge burden, including all his, uh, his armor and all this stuff in this, um, in this enormous pack up, up through the, the rainy uh, mountain cliffs um, to, um, to this place where the Jesuit missionaries were working. Has anyone seen that movie? I'm the only one here. A few of you have. Really just a powerful scene. He, he, gets, he gets to the top and... Uh, and uh, the tribal people there, it looks like they're going to kill him with this sword, but they end up cutting his burden free. Sorry if you're getting ready to watch that. I just gave away a, a big spoiler. But, but it's this sense of, oh, what can I do to, to, to fix this, to make, it, to make it right? We want to do outward things to fix an inside problem. That's our, that's our human tendency. We, we try to do um, uh, an outside work, an act, to fix what's wrong in our heart. But what God wants is to change our hearts, and in particular, these three areas. Verse 8. He's told you, O man, or woman, or child, what, what is good. This, this you know. And what does the Lord require of you? What, what does he want from you this year and always? These three things. But to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So we're going to talk about those three things, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. And uh, just to keep you on your toes, I'm going to flip the order. Uh, Really, I'm going to flip the order because I think they're logically build on each other uh, from the, the third to the first. So in the whole realm of our relationship to God, how do we, um, how do we interact with God? What do, we, what do we do in response to God? How do we relate to Him? Well, the answer is He desires that we, we thrive. <laughs> he desires that we, we, we grow ever deeper, that we, we, we come to life as we, we relate to Him closely, walking humbly with God. Uh, this word walk it it uh, is is fuller than just the sense of just you know walking along. It could be going on a journey, going on a on a direction. 
um, just proceeding forth. In other words, we want to go on a perpetual journey with God. And how do we go on that journey? We go on that journey humbly. Walk humbly with your God. We, we go forth in a constant relationship of fellowship with God um, with this sense of His greatness and our dependence on Him. We need Him so much, and that should be the, the driving force in our relationship with God. Um, Expositor's, Expositor's Bible Commentary describes this walk humbly with God like this. To live in conscious fellowship, you know, this intentional, we're aware of it, fellowship with God by exercising a spirit of humility before Him. Day in, day out, in the habits of our life, we are, we are living in an awareness of God's presence and our dependence on Him. And that's what He desires of us. God simply desires a heart disposition of humble dependence on Him. And from this, all else flows. In the New Testament, Jesus talked about this, this very concept, um, but, but bringing it into the realm of, uh, of the body of Christ. And he says this, uh, John 15, 4 to 5. Really, this, this whole chapter speaks about this. The verse 4 says, Abide in me, which means to, uh, to dwell, to remain, to kind of sit down and be at home there. Abide in me and I in you. Just like the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me, because I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So it's this sense of, of walking humbly with God, walking humbly with Jesus, where we're just ever constantly dependent on him, like a, like a branch is to, to the vine. You know, off doing your own thing, you just dry up, no, no spiritual fruit. And what happens when we walk humbly, what happens when we abide, is we, we bear fruit. <laughs> That's when we have the, the characteristics of a, of a righteous life. It comes from that dwelling with God. But what we tend to do is we want to stick um, the attributes of God on us, but not having it come up through us by, by walking humbly with Him. Um, we were with the deacons yesterday, I was telling them about uh, our car. Uh, one of them, this is the one Shelby usually drives. We got this, this isn't it. But uh, we, we got this car uh, years ago, and I think it had about, it had almost 250,000 miles on it when we got it. It's a, it's a Hyundai. And, uh, and we thought, you know, even though it has a bazillion miles and it makes all kinds of weird sounds and whatever, it, it has kind of the lines of a Jaguar. And so when we first got it, we kind of joked about, oh, that'd be funny to go get a, a hood ornament, a Jaguar hood ornament, and put it on the, the front of that. Um, but the truth is, uh, that emblem does not make it a Jaguar. <laughs> and so we try to, you know, oh, I've, I'm kind of failing in this area. I need to do this better. I need to do that better. I need to keep those plates spinning. I need to plug up all the holes in, in my toothpaste tube. And, uh, and yet, inside... Uh, we're not walking humbly with God. It's God who produces the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in us. So while there's not, we don't stick these things on us, there are some just essential habits that the Bible um, speaks of and invites us into 
as followers of him that nurture walking humbly with God. And, uh, and three of those uh, I'd like to talk about this morning. One, one is simply uh, the Bible. We discover God in the Bible. It's part of our conversation, our relating with God, is getting that, uh, that goodness, that truth, that life source uh, in us. Um, maybe some of you uh, have made a New Year's commitment to read through the Bible in the year or to make some kind of Bible reading plan a habit in your life. Um, I was just reading um, in, a, in a blog about uh, spiritual habits and, well, it was, it was kind of a technical blog about research on Christian life and called Lead and Lag Metricies or whatever. Anyway, the, the, um, the factor that made a difference more than any other factor in spiritual growth was just simply reading the Bible. Just a habit of, you know, we get the Bible in our lives. And that, uh, more than any of all these other things they measured, that was just made an enormous impact. What are you going to do to just get the Bible in your, in your life? Uh, the second one is kind of totally uh, related to that or, or is, the, um, is, is the supplement to that is, is prayer. Just our conversation, ongoing speaking with God. Um, I told you my family has uh, scattered all over the place right now um, uh, as far as England. And uh, how do I maintain those relationships when uh, I don't uh, see my family? Well, we live in the magical age of, you know, email and text messages and, and FaceTime. Uh, we communicate. If you're not just talking to God all the time, then that relationship is just getting constricted and, and is falling by the wayside. It's, it's our lifeline to God. And, and the third thing that's uh, wrapped up in this is, is worship. And I'm not, I'm not speaking of a particular um, uh, worship practice, like, uh, like singing songs in church, although that's part of it. What, I, what I'm speaking of is this sense that um, we, we adore God. We, um, we express and we reaffirm our relationship and dependence on God. And, and that's indeed what we do here together. We, we sing these songs. We all say these words all together about what God means to us and how we're dependent on him and what he does in our lives and how our devotion is to him. And those things, a, a lifestyle of those habits, nurture the walking with, with God. The essential relationship, the habits of nurturing a walk with God. So what does God want from each of us in this coming year? It's a heart inclined toward constant fellowship with him. It's as simple and as complicated as that. <laughs> a life of constant fellowship with him. Well, walking humbly with God is the, definitely the starting place, and it's what prepares us for the other relationships in life. And so the second relationship uh, the relationship to God's family. What about all those other people who, um, who are, are uh, following Jesus? What about the other people at church, the other people who call themselves believers? What should be my relationship in that arena? And here, Malachi is also instructive. In relationship to God's family, we share. Just like we learned in kindergarten is we share things. This passage says uh, to love kindness. 
This is actually the two uh, most common Hebrew words for love, and it uses, them, it uses both of them. Ahav means to, you, know, you just um, have a, a desire, you, you love something, you love um, maybe your, your spouse, you love a concept like you love freedom, you love um, um, your, your children. It's just you have this, this desire, you value that thing a whole lot. And then hesed is a covenant love. It's, you love it because you've entered into this, um, this bond together. And so a spousal love would also fall into that category. It's a community love. It's a faithful love. It's a, a merciful love. It's so in relation to other followers of God, in relationship to the faith community, we love loving each other. Um, it's thinking of a, a husband-wife relationship. You, you don't wake up as a, as a spouse and think, um, I wonder who I'll love today. <laughs> no, you've already decided. You've exchanged vows. You've exchanged rings. You, you're going to love that person right next to you that you live with who is your, your spouse. And in the same way, in, uh, in the family of God, we don't say, hmm, I wonder, if, I wonder who in this room I, I might love. We love all of each other because we've bound ourselves together as children who follow God we become siblings, we become brothers and sisters in the family of God, and we love each other. Um, this is not like a, uh, well, uh, let me back up, there's great, there's several verses in the New Testament, I just want to mention a couple of them. Um, John 13, 35, this is, what Jesus says is the primary identifiable characteristic of Jesus' followers. Well, how will people know uh, Christians, is it, will they have a you know a Christian T-shirt? Um, will they will they have the sticker on their car? And he says, no. Uh, by this, people will know that you are my followers, you are my disciples. If you have what love for each other, love in the body of Christ, in the family of God, that's how people will know you're part of this. Is the way that we love each other. Uh, the primary metaphor in the church is um, of the church in the New Testament is the body. It's used in in uh, well a few places: First Corinthians, um, Romans twelve. First uh, Corinthians twelve says this. This is this is talking about um, describing the church. You know, people who follow Jesus. For just as the body is is one, you know, you have one body. There's many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are just one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So if we come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, you know, Jew, Greek, uh, different uh, social status, different financial status, uh, different giftedness, different roles in the church, he's like, you're, you're one body. You're connected in a in an interdependent way with every other person in the family of God. See, it's not like a shared interest group, you know, like a golf club or a, a reading club or something like, oh, we all like this thing. We, we all like Jesus, and so we're in this club together. No, it's not like a shared um, ethnicity club 
um, or a shared citizenship club, you know, like a patriotism or nationalism. No, it's, it's a body. It's a shared life. <laughs> Connectedness is not a club at all. So we, we're bound together in this covenant of love. And, and like there is three things, uh, three essential habits of relationship with God, there's three essential habits in our relationship with each other. And the first of those, um, these, some of these are going to need some defining or clarifying. I'm just calling life. We share life. <laughs> uh, the Bible uses the term koinonia. We, we use that, um, translate as, as fellowship usually. It's this idea of, of you've bound yourself in a love relationship, and because of that, you're compelled to take care of one another and share things uh, in common with one another. So we, we try to do this through our, our small groups. Um, um, we have a men's group that meets. We have a women's group that meets. We do it in our, our 9 o'clock small groups. Um, there's several in our church family who are involved in mentoring relationships where you just invest in, in another person. Um, these are all ways we just want to share our lives together. Ask the deep questions. Share from our, from our hearts in a real honest way and be, be knit together. And the second thing we see in the early church is, is this sense of, of we give, we share in our, in our gifts. We, uh, we support the, the ministry of this group here and our, our, uh, our witness in the world and, and, uh, and our, our worship together. We, we see this pattern throughout the New Testament of, oh, I'm part of this. I, I'm all in, you know, including including my gifts, including my resources, my time, my hospitality. I open, I open up my home to, to those in the body of Christ. And, and the third thing is the sense of, of serving. You know, we, we do something. Um, in, in a body, every part has a purpose. There used to be, after, um, after the random evolutionary thought kind of uh, took precedence, they and that kind of philosophy led to this thinking of, well, um, this, this body's not designed, so uh, what did all these things do? And they had this long list of all these parts they didn't know uh, what they were for. Well, over the years, they keep, thinking, they keep realizing, like, oh, that, that is useful. <laughs> and so that list gets shorter and shorter and shorter because every part in the body, and especially every part in the body of 